0: This is episode 74 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and for the second straight episode I have a guest on the show who once lived here in Saskatoon. He's the founder of heavyhockey.com and the host of Oilers Live, Michael Hebert. Michael, how was your trip to my hometown last week? No, it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, always uh, always great to go to Saskatoon. I I feel like it's a bit of an underrated city. Uh, because it's in the middle of uh the prairies. It's a beautiful city, lots of bridges, lots of nice green space. Yeah. I, I always enjoyed being there.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. And it was great to catch up and see you for the first time since the heavy hockey showdown back in March. And you know, it's also great that Oilers hockey is almost back. The this off season has been way too long. And I think the way last season ended left a bitter taste in everyone's mouth so Oilers fans are definitely eager for the new season to get going and I think the excitement around the team grew even more when uh, 18 players showed up to the first day of captain skates on September 5th Uh, how encouraging was that for you to see almost the entire team back on the ice together two weeks ahead of training camp
1: yeah you know I'm lots has been made about this and the captain skate and everybody being there. I think, you know, when you look at a team and you start to see patterns in what makes teams successful, it, it usually boils down to commitment and leadership. And those two things, um, are apparent when everybody shows up for the captain skate, uh, you know, ahead of time and, and is ready to go. And it, and it looked like they had a great time too. Not, not just, uh, not just getting down to business, but it looks like they're gelling as a team early.
0: Definitely. I I think it just shows how serious this group is about winning the Stanley Cup this year. They've lost the eventual champions in back-to-back years, and uh, they want to make sure that doesn't happen again. And even though these are just informal practices, you can tell from the videos that have been shown on Twitter that they're going full out. And um, even from listening to the various media availabilities so far everyone sounds extremely focused and super motivated and as a fan of this team that's a great sign. Yeah yeah I couldn't agree more. And uh, although uh, we're less than four weeks away from being able to talk about actual games again tonight we're going to be recapping the Oilers biggest offseason moves and Uh, Since I'm planning to have Spencer Pomodi on the show next week to talk about the Oilers' top prospects, we'll skip right over the NHL draft and ahead to the 2023 NHL Awards where Connor McDavid matched the NHL record for most individual awards in a single season with four. McDavid took home the Art Ross Trophy as scoring champion the Maurice Rocket Richard Trophy as goal-scoring leader, the Hart Memorial Trophy as most valuable player, and the Ted Lindsay Award as most outstanding player as voted by the NHLPA. Uh, Michael, if the rest of the NHL is here on Earth, McDavid is in another universe right now, isn't he?
1: Well, you got to think. I mean, he's uh, like any superstar of his caliber. He's uh, incredibly humble, and we'll talk about the team behind him, and, and certainly the team is really good, but he just... It has a commitment to being the best that you don't see in everybody else. And it's, um, you know, I, I'd say it's a quiet commitment, but it's not because just look at everybody showing up for uh, the captain skates. Uh, so he's, you know, it, it's the kind of thing, you know, the 60 goals uh, uh, mark, 60 goal mark, you know, it just shows what he's capable of, you know, that when he decides he wants something, he goes out and does it. And we haven't seen that for a very long time.
0: Oh, without question. I mean, um, last season really was a a season for the ages from him. McDavid dominated the competition like no player in the past quarter century. Uh, He was only the sixth player in NHL history to record 150 points in a single season. And he won the scoring race by 25 points, which was the largest margin of victory since Wayne Gretzky in 1990-91. Uh, McDavid joined Gordie Howe, Phil Esposito, Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, and Yarmer Yager as the only players in NHL history with five Art Ross trophies. Additionally, he was the first player to win three consecutive Art Ross trophies since Yager from 98 99 through 2000 2001. McDavid also joined Bobby Orr, Bobby Clark, and Gretzky as the only players in NHL history with three Hart trophies at age 26 or younger and he joined Gretzky and Lemieux as the only players in NHL history with four Ted Lindsay awards. He became the first Oiler to lead the league in goals since Gretzky in 86-87, as you mentioned him hitting the 60-goal mark. And perhaps most impressively, McDavid became only the fifth player in NHL history to lead the league in goals, assists, and points in a single season, and the first to do so since Gretzky, also in 1986-87. And I just think that... uh, the all-time greats have this innate drive to go above and beyond, and that's what we've seen from McDavid throughout his entire career, but especially last season. And we can talk about all the offensive milestones and, and trophies that he's won, but uh, it's like you said, getting everyone back in town uh, ahead of schedule and getting them into the captain skates and not uh, not letting this opportunity to be ready going into training camp slip by that just shows, I think that his leadership qualities have even uh, taken a step forward as well as uh, his offensive game, just continuing to grow.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. And he's a year older, right? I mean, it's hard to think of a guy at 26 years old being mature, uh, but he's, he has matured. He's matured, uh, you know, not as, not just as a player, but as a leader, Uh, You see, you know, how he talks to the media. He's a lot more relaxed than he's ever been. Uh, He seems to be a little bit more open uh, in the right ways, if you will. And, you know, some of that might be his engagement to Lauren, who knows, but he's settling down and, and he's, you know, he's showing everybody that he's got what it takes and, uh, and that he's ready to take the next step. It's, It's fun to watch. And we've been, you know, lucky enough to see him Uh, in his whole career as an oiler
0: yeah when you have a player with his incredible combination of speed and skill but also that internal drive to win i mean he, he wants to win more than anyone out there just to have a to have a guy with that amount of talent and also who hates to lose it's a it's a great combination for uh oilers fans and uh frightening probably for the rest of the league yeah. yeah, you well yeah, yeah, you have to look at it that way, right? It's got to be a little bit frightening
1: for the rest of the league. And you know, we will talk about Mc, we could talk about McDavid all night. Um but he's got another guy behind him that's that hates to lose just as much and I think really pushes him. I think the two of them, you know, while McDavid is undoubtedly uh the best player in the league, um Leon Draisaitl is a big part of that and how he pushes mcdavid to want to be better just the off the cuff remarks and everything that you know show there's a fire and a will to uh to do better i think that you know the two of them are best friends they're ride or die as they say that just works for them and and they'll push each other they were at the BioSteel camp together you know they do uh a lot of things together in the summer and and that little bit of an extra is just enough to kind of give us what we see every day. I think not that McDavid wouldn't be special on his own, but I think he's even more special because of the guys behind him.
0: Oh yeah. And it's just a, it's an incredible thing for, for the Oilers to have the two best players in the league on one team. And when, when you have a player like Drysider, like you mentioned, pushing McDavid in practice every day, and it also you can have Leon Drysidle on any given night. He can be the best player in the world. Oh yeah. Uh, I I remember Todd McClellan, when he coached the Oilers, telling Leon that don't just accept uh, being the second best, you know, you yourself try to uh, be the best player on any given night. And, um, you know, we've seen that over the years where Leon Drysidle can take over a game and uh, he's, there are things he can even do better than Connor. Like, uh, you know, McDavid is probably still considered the, the better playmaker, but the way that Leon's able to execute on some of those long-range passes, especially on the backhand, uh, his his incredible finishing ability on the power play from the low and the right dot, he's he's easily one of the best players in the world. And it, it goes beyond McDavid and Dreisaitl too. Just practicing together day after day, that whole team, I, I think that it will make the Oilers' defensemen also better having to play against those guys.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And and they've talked about it, right? Like defensemen on the Oilers always talk about how in practice, you know, they, they're learning things all the time. And, and you just have to be when, when you go into practice and you're playing against McDavid and dry you have to be on even at practice, right? Like there's no time, there's no time to take, you know, a day off or a minute off, uh when you're with these guys and and that's i think it's great i think you know the young guys will grow up uh in the league and and they'll be better for it and we've seen that we've seen the maturation of some of the players you know like Bouchard and and um you know we saw Desharnais, uh, throughout the season there's no doubt that having two guys out there that you know can uh really make you see what's possible uh, is bound to rub off on you as a defenseman.
0: Definitely and despite a clean sweep at the NHL awards this summer, McDavid fell one vo- vote short <laughs> of being named the unanimous MVP for the second time in three years how surprised were you to see him receive one fifth place vote to go along with his <laughs> 195 first place ballots?
1: Yeah I, you know I am. I'm not surprised I guess right like there's Gretzky had it too. When you're the best, there's always going to be a, folks out there that find a reason to say you are not the best. You know, it seems every year uh there's a reason uh or some reason why folks need to in the Professional Hockey Writers Association find a reason to vote somebody else the Hart Trophy winner. And it's never about, you know, as McDavid good enough for the right guy to win the heart it's it's about why shouldn't we vote McDavid for the heart and so it's bound to be out of that many people that vote there's bound to be one and uh, in this case there was Uh, it's um, you know I I think it's shameful (laughs) but but it is what it is and and it's never going to be a big surprise you know there are still folks out there who don't think McDavid's the best in the league Uh, despite the fact that he continues to prove it night in and night out.
0: Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, McDavid's been the best player in the league since his second year in 2016-17. If you want to argue that Crosby held the title for a little bit longer, even though McDavid was putting up more points, okay, fine. But there's no question that in the last five years that McDavid has been the best player in the world. And and look, everyone's going to have their own opinion on this, but David Pasternak was the best player on the best regular season team in NHL history last year. But I don't know how anyone in the PWHA could look at the staggering numbers McDavid put up and not think that he was the most valuable player to his team. I mean, he had the highest single season point total in nearly three decades. He won hockey's version of the Triple Crown he set or challenged for several NHL records. So it was a little disappointing that he missed out on being a two-time unanimous winner by one vote because that would be something that he had done that even Gretzky never accomplished in his career. But ultimately, McDavid still took home the heart, and that's what should be most important to Oilers fans. Yeah, and I don't even think,
1: you know, I I struggle with this because the heart is great, but it's voted on by writers. And to me, the Ted Lindsay, if I'm a player, that's the one I care about.
0: I right? mean, David even and, said that in an yeah. interview at the NHL Awards that this is the the trophy that he holds in the highest regard because he's voted on by his peers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, winning that one four times
1: <laughs> to me that's a pretty pretty big deal. By 26 years old, that uh, that alone right these these are the guys that have to play him night in night
0: out yeah and when that, you think about it yeah Gretzky won five and Lemieux won four those are the only other two players in NHL history who've uh who've won at least four and uh, they probably both would have won more if they played in separate eras but because their careers crossed over they were sort of taking the trophy away from each other at times and McDavid really has no here or or equal the way that uh, Lemieux eventually came up and pushed Gretzky, so uh, it seems very likely that he will break Gretzky's record and win six or more Ted Lindsay in his Ted Lindsay awards in his career. Yeah, he's a, he's a cut above,
1: right? And it just shows. I mean, to have four by the time he's twenty six is just unbelievable. And um, you know, other than a year, arguably he he could have won it the year prior, right? and um and he didn't uh, obviously Austin Matthews got it uh McDavid I think really took that to heart though and that's why he you know he came out with the season that he had i i honestly think that's the big one right you could take all the hockey writers in the world and some of them have played the game but none of them have played against McDavid and if you play against a guy and and you still say he's the best then clearly he's the best. Like there's no, there's no denying that. And uh, and the players have voted on him uh, four times. And really, you know, Nick Kucherov had a, a, a unbelievable year in 2018, 2019, <sighs> and was deserving. And Leon Dreisaitl came in and uh, did what he had to do when McDavid, you know, wasn't there. Uh, and Matthews, you know, was a goal scoring machine that year. Uh, and did really well. So, you know, outside of some really unbelievable performances in the past, um, six or seven years, Connor McDavid was, uh, still, I think the best player, you know, easily in each of those years.
0: Oh, for sure. And, uh, the other big one that he's chasing right now is, uh, for the most Art Ross trophies, Gretzky's the only player in history to hit double digits. He finished with 10, and the only other two players with more Art Ross trophies in their career than McDavid are Gordie Howe and Mario Lemieux, who each have six. It seems likely that McDavid will win at least two more Art Rosses in his career, which would put him only behind Gretzky. But how close do you think he can actually get to 10? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, uh, you know, it, it. it's just a matter of you know, how much he changes his game. I mean, he's only 26. Right. And so, you know, when you think, uh, that, you know, by the time he's 30, I like, I don't expect him to give up the art Ross anytime soon.
0: uh, I don't think he'll lose in the next three years. Minimum. Yeah. At least three years. If not, that takes him to eight. Yeah. Right. And then, and then he's 29 and he's only two scoring titles behind Gretzky for the most ever. And tw- but twenty nine to McDavid and twenty nine to Wayne
1: Gretzky are two very different things because back in in Wayne Gretzky's era, guys didn't have the same training regimen. There wasn't the same science behind fitness that there is now, you know. And and you know that's not to take away from Gretzky, right? It's just times have changed. And so, I mean,
0: Gretzky's peak season in the NHL was at age twenty
1: five. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't think, like, 30 years old uh, in today's game is a lot different. Guys can play a lot longer because they're in better shape. I don't expect a guy like McDavid to fall off um, at 27 or 28. I mean, I, th- I I actually expect that he can still get, he's still got a couple more years of, um, of growth, right? Yeah. Of, can he get any better? I don't know. I mean, that's but I do think he will find ways to get better. And he's also so committed to the craft that he'll find ways to, if, you know, if his speed goes down a little bit, he'll find a different way to play the game. Like he's just that, that intelligent and that smart.
0: And while I don't think he's driven by stats and he's, he said that multiple times, he understands that the best way he can help his team is by filling the net. And that just is, is the reason what drives him to, to score is not uh, to see, you know, what kind of records he can chase, but to help the Oilers win. Um, you know, when I had Gene Principe on the show back in April, we both agreed that he had at least five more seasons of at least 120 points. So that would take him from 26 to 31. Do you uh, do you echo that, that he uh, should be able to put up at, at least 120 or more points for the next five years? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, without a doubt. I mean, barring injury, for sure, he'll do it. Uh, I it, look,
1: you know, I know he said he's not about stats and he's not, but we take that De Harnay quote, right? Like, I don't care about the stats. I just want to effing win. Right. Right. Like, one leads to the other. You know, when you've got that uh, kind of drive, you, the stats come. Right. And so you don't care about them, but they happen because, All you want to do is win, and so you're going to put up the points because you're going to do what's necessary, and uh, that's what he does. So, yeah, 120 points for the next five years is um, not just unimaginable. It's, I think, expected uh, at this point, barring any injury. I, I just think he's going to do still amazing things over the next four or five years.
0: And I don't want to give away my exact point prediction for this season because I still have a, a season preview show coming up. But I, I will say that I do have him beating his total from this past season.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I do, I do as well. And, and um, you know, it's been said on uh, every podcast I've done in, in recent years, in recent days, like, um, he, um, you just can't bet against him right no. like he's going to continue to do what he does and and like if you said he's he's not capable of doing 150 and being defensive he'll prove you wrong right he'll do 150 and win the and uh you know win the uh what why am I going blank on the award for, Yeah, Ross no the defensive
0: <laughs> for all oh, the the selkie <laughs> the selkie yeah he'll do he'll be the Too first many try, with, to remember <laughs> you know get uh has anybody won the art ross and the in the same? i don't think so i mean the closest equivalent would be in basketball where michael jordan won the mvp and the defensive player of the year award and you know there there's been uh comparisons made between jordan and uh mcdavid over the years with their you know intense drive to win and 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 hatred for losing mike dursa even wrote an article about it recently so um yeah some of those uh uh, well, I don't think that they're, you know, exact replicas of each other. I think yeah. David's a, a much better teammate than, than Michael Jordan was, uh, apparently, uh, I will say that, uh, you know, some of the, the Jordan qualities of, you know, just the, the work ethic and the desire to win are there with him.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think what somebody needs to whisper in his ear is that it's never been done, <laughs> right. You know, and and uh, maybe get
0: Drysaddle to whisper that in his ear, and and McDavid will make it happen. You know, I I, I would love to see it. I think the only thing that would hold him back is that perhaps the the writers wouldn't want to give the the best defensive forward award to the scoring champion as well. But <laughs> if there if there was because you know Yari Curry really should have won multiple Selkies back in the the eighties. Yeah. He never did. Uh, and I think part of that was because the Oilers were already winning so many trophies, as it is. You had Gretzky winning the heart every year and the Art Ross every year. And uh, Paul Coffey won multiple Norrises, Grant Fuhr uh, with a Vesna. So it's like, how many w- more awards are we really going to give to the Oilers?
1: Yeah, it's the human condition, right? Like, we, you know, you, you hope for the leaders to fail. Like, when Tiger Woods was absolutely dominating golf people would watch in hopes that he'd miss a putt or, you know, screw up a drive. Right. Yeah. And, uh, if you're a non Oilers fan, then you just hope that something goes, doesn't go McDavid's way. Uh, and that, you know, people are not immune to that
0: just because they're writers or, or, uh, I think it goes beyond sports too. I mean, even for singers or bands or just anyone in the, the public eye, if you reach the top of your field, there there's going to be tons of people that love you but you're also going to have a lot of haters as well. That's uh, yeah,
1: exactly. 100% and and so, you know, I I think that um that's expected. I I I think yeah, he'll always come up against that and and just like the one guy that would vote against <laughs> him not not just vote against him but put him in fifth. Yeah. Uh you
0: know. Ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> yes. and there was a, there, there, was also a touching moment at the end of the NHL Awards when the, the Stelter family flew down to Nashville mm-hmm. from Edmonton to surprise McDavid on stage, and Mike Stelter, the father of Oilers' good luck charm and superfan Ben Stelter presented McDavid with the Hart Trophy. And, and while it was great to see McDavid receive the most prestigious individual award in hockey, having the Stelters there made it extra special, didn't it?
1: uh you know it sure did um yeah you know it's it's good to see i think that uh, especially in a time when hockey and hockey culture certainly has uh you know all eyes pointed at it and for good reason um these these stories you know are endearing and and need to be told and and need to be seen uh and that um you know the whole city got around that. I don't know if people around the league that watched the awards, if they fully grasped what you know what that meant, but we saw the emotion in in Mcdavid you know a number of times uh you know uh when it when it came to um the stelter family and and so yeah, no, that was great. I think that was a, a great touch to you know what what ended up being a disappointing year i think for the oilers
0: yeah and mcdavid even admitted during his acceptance speech that he got a little emotional when the stelters walked out on stage and you know he obviously had a very close bond with little ben and it was tragic to lose him just over a year ago but uh, it it was great to see mcdavid and uh Spit and chicklets co-host uh, Paul Bissonnette each donate five thousand dollars to the Ben Stelter Fund uh, after he thanked his hot tub, which was a, a reference to an inside joke between the two of them, and um, so that was great. Uh, and and my other favorite part uh, of his speech is when he uh, he said he couldn't wait to get back to work with his teammates in September because they have unfinished business, and I, I think that shows early on with the the captain skates here that uh they couldn't wait to get back to work and um to, to me that shows there's there's only one trophy mcdavid really wants to win and he plans on lifting that on the ice next june yeah yeah <laughs> you know dry
1: backtracked a little bit on his own words but these guys are here and they're committed to this this year uh it's going to be I just think it's going to be a different season all around. And this, this will be an exciting year to be an Oilers fan. Something will have to go incredibly wrong uh, for them not to have like a hell of a season and a hell of a playoffs, whether they go to the Stanley cup, you know, Ken Holland's always quick to say there's, you know, 31 other teams. Right. Um, But uh you know, it's just going to be one of those years. I think all the, all the pieces are there, the commitments there, the team is, you know, rolling through, like it's all the guys that were there last year, minus a couple of faces and some, a couple of new ones. But I can't see, um, I can't see this, not just being a, you know, being a special regular season. And then you just hope that it continues to click throughout the playoffs.
0: I couldn't agree more. And uh, although they didn't take home any hardware this year, two other Oilers players were nominated for awards. Stuart Skinner was the first runner-up for the Calder Memorial Trophy as Rookie of the Year, and Darnell Nurse was a finalist for the King Clancy Memorial Trophy as Best Leader and Humanitarian in his community. So it's great to see that a couple other Oilers being uh, recognized for the seasons they had.
1: Yeah, I you know, I love the King Clancy Award. Um is i think it's great i think it's a good one uh darnell nurse is you know just to hear some of the stuff that he does outside of the game is phenomenal some people i've you know i've seen comments like who cares if he's a nice guy well you know i do care right um Mm -hmm. you know if he wasn't we'd you know we'd hear about that too and so uh, I care when they're, when they're good people and, and seeing Darnell nurse, uh, even just getting a nomination like that's important. Uh, Skinner. I believe it's the second yeah. straight year he was nominated too. Oh yeah. Cause he's deserving, right? Like he, um, you know, he, it's meaningful to him. I think it's part of the family DNA, like the nurse family DNA. Yeah. I think they're all just really great people that like to give back.
0: Along with being super athletes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, um, I,
1: they are super athletes and, and I think if you're uh, thankful for the gifts that you're given, you know, that, that comes out and Darnell nurse just seems to, you know, represent gratitude in everything he does, despite having his fair share of, uh, detractors in, in oil country, but yeah. And Stuart Skinner, the, um the Calder the nomination uh the nomination for it uh, that's awesome you know I, I i didn't expect him to win but uh to be nominated is something special and and you know he had um i think he had a hell of a season for a young goalie i think uh there were a lot of you know a lot of times where you know he could have Easily folded under pressure and he didn't, he just sort of stayed calm and collected. And, and I think this year, uh, with Campbell, hopefully coming back refreshed and everybody seems to be talking about how much better he looks and, and seems, uh, the two of them together should be, uh, a really good force and hopefully feed off of each other. And I believe, and, and I think you follow these things closer than I do, but I believe they're pretty close friends as well.
0: Yeah, it sure seems that way. You know, they've, they've mentioned it in interviews that, uh, they, they really lean on each other and, um, you know, they, they both went through rough patches last year and they both went through strong, uh, runs. Let's not forget that Jack Campbell was playing great in January while Stuart Skinner was, uh, uh, missing a little bit of time, uh, while he flew back from a road trip to be with his wife for the, the birth of their child. Um, and, uh, you know, Jack, that's when Jack Campbell really got his game back on track uh, for about a month there. And even in the playoffs, he only played in four games, all relief appearances, and he looked strong in in each of those, uh, those games that he got into. So I think that is a good confidence builder for him going into this season that he was able to play well. And especially in a game four against the Kings, he shut the door and, and let, allowed the Oilers to get back into that game. And I've said that, you know, just despite what he did all regular season, just keeping the Oilers alive in that series, uh, he was worth the contract last year just for winning that game alone. Yeah. 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 No, I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Um,
1: it's, it's going to be an interesting year, you know, as far as that's concerned. And I, and I think that, you know, I've said this so many times, like, everybody looks at goalies in Edmonton as, you know, and some people are, you know, tough on Schwartz or tough on various different things, tough on Holland, right? Like, um, but the reality is, is like goalie is only as good as the defense in front of them as well, right? Um, So the defense is far different this year than it was last year.
0: You I know, think it's given, better. Too. I mean, given having Acom that Acom right be from the start—that's yeah. yeah. that's the biggest difference, right? And I think Darnell nurse still had a a quietly good season last year. It's just it it gets to a point where every little mistake you make gets picked apart. Once once someone makes up their mind about a player, it's very hard for them to change. So even if he's playing very well for a long stretch of time, if he has a costly turnover that leads to a goal against or a good scoring chance you know, the comments are going to come out. Yeah. Well, if you watching,
1: you know, an Oilers game, you, you got a 50% chance. This is pre Ekholm of seeing Darnell nurse on the ice. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, if there's a mistake that's going to be made, it's going to be somebody that's on the ice and Darnell nurse. Most of the time was out there. So yeah, he made some mistakes. I, there were games where I was particularly critical of him uh, and, uh, but for the most part, you know, and we talked about this on the Tuesday show of Oilers live is like overall, you know, he's, he's one of the few top pairing defensemen in this league that doesn't have another top pairing defenseman play with him. And then he plays, no. you know, half the game. So i'm just surprised he doesn't
0: make more mistakes i guess right <laughs> right like and, and i yeah. i know people like to comment on his contract and everything yeah. but as the salary cap continues to rise his cap hit the per, the percentage that it, it takes up was it just goes down year after year so it, it becomes less of a burden all the time and and really if that was the cost of keeping him at the time because that was the market value for a defenseman then then that's what they had to pay him uh I mean, obviously you probably would like uh maybe two million dollars less uh not not just because of of him, but just in general you you'd prefer to not have a nine million million dollar defense on the team and you know if if Evan Bouchard takes off in the next couple of years, he might be right there too, but uh it's just a it was a fact of the time of of what he was worth on the market and and he got paid yeah yeah and and I'm not gonna fault them for that I mean, no, I've never fault me... anyone for, for for getting paid <laughs> what they're worth or or at least what the market dictates right yeah and uh who else were we gonna get that's uh you know i think um, that's the biggest thing this anyone yeah. who claims that this team is better without him i I can't agree with that the, the you can look at how this team played when when darnell nurse got hurt four games before the playoffs last year in in twenty twenty two yep uh, that was a that was a big hole for the Oilers, and he made it back in time, yeah. but he he wasn't right for that entire playoff run. And who, like, you know, I I, I just I can't think of um,
1: who's more valuable to a team. And and I, I mark my words, I guess, is that Darnell Nurse is going to have a career year in terms of what he looks like as a defenseman, right? It might not be on the points thing, but by the end of this season, the league will know just how good Darnell nurse is and all of that, because he doesn't have to play the, you know, 50 minutes a game <laughs> and yeah. he'll, you know, he'll be utilized properly for a guy of his skill set. Uh, yeah, I, th- I just think this is going to be his year. This is going to be the year where everybody will eat their their words on what Darnell Nurse's value is. Yeah.
0: All right, let's move on to the Oilers' offseason moves now. And we'll start by talking about their most notable subtractions. The Oilers traded Kyler Yamamoto and Clem Costin to the Detroit Red Wings for future considerations on June 29th. I'll ask you about Yamamoto first, since he was with the organization longer. Uh, Yamamoto was coming off an injury riddled season where he had just 10 goals and 25 points in 58 games. He had one year remaining on his contract with a cap hit of 3.1 million. Uh, Michael, were the Oilers like they're obviously looking to clear cap space, but were you hoping that the Oilers would keep Yamamoto and trade another contract? Or did you think that they needed to move on from the player at that time?
1: You know, i I preface it by saying I like Yamamoto. I like the style of play that he has. I think that it's a good move for the Oilers for him to be off the team for a couple of reasons. You have a player like that who, you know, it, we talked a lot about how McDavid liked to play with him. Drysaddle liked to play with him. I think it puts the coaching staff in a, you know, an awkward position where you're putting a guy out there who isn't, isn't producing points. and. You know, and you know that somebody of his point production is going to be available at significantly fewer dollars, and possibly not give you the same, you know, fits and starts that Yamamoto did in the lineup, and maybe make it a little bit easier on on Woodcroft in terms of utilization up and down the lineup. Uh, I think he had to go. Um, so, as much as I liked Yamamoto and wish him the best I you know I think it's it was the only move that could be made
0: yeah for sure and uh, Yamamoto did a lot of things well that don't always show up on the score sheet too I mean he hunted pucks like crazy yeah he wasn't he wasn't afraid to go to the dirty areas on the ice despite his smaller frame Uh, he was one of Edmonton's best penalty killers and he could tip pucks but when you're one of the highest paid wingers on the team you need to produce more than he did playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's a plum job, getting to be riding shotgun with two scoring champions or two MVPs. And, you know, maybe if he was healthy all year, he would have scored 20 goals again. But I think the Oilers needed to get an upgrade on the right side. And they didn't want to be paying Yamamoto $3 million to play in the bottom six. So they really had no choice but to move on from him.
1: Yeah, uh, those are, those are exactly the points. Yeah. And there's a lot of maybes in this league, you know, but you just can't pay for maybes. You got to pay for sure things or at least, you know, get the right contract value for, for that dollar. Right. And, um, yeah, Moto wasn't the guy, unfortunately.
0: Uh, and Costin was also sent to Detroit in that trade. He tallied 11 goals and 21 points in 57 games last season. And Costin was clearly the sweetener in the deal with the Red Wings in exchange for taking Yamamoto's contract off the books. Uh, how much do you think the Oilers will miss Costin's size, speed, and scoring touch this season?
1: Yeah, I you know initially when he left, I'm that was the first thing I went through my head. Um, but with the moves and just looking at how the team is created and and coming to the you know realization that Evander Kane should be spending a full year with the Oilers and and feeling better, you hope. Connor Brown, you know, is um I think brings a new dynamic. If you know any one of the PTOs uh fits in, like Gagne or or Sutter, you know, two hard-nosed players. Um you know, they can, they can all fill in a little bit by committee on some of that big toughness. I like Costin too. Like he was fun to watch, but again, you know, a product of, uh, of a salary cap that, uh, he had to go, but I, I just don't think that they lost uh, a ton of size by, you know, by what they, what they're bringing back in.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Or
1: grit, maybe the size is gone, but the grit. <laughs>
0: the grit. <laughs> right.
1: Either, yeah. Uh,
0: definitely, and uh, I mean, he was a really nice fit in the Oilers' bottom six last season, and he gave them more of a physical presence. But uh, he, he, I mean, he did become a fan favorite. We we can't deny it. He was a big, rugged winger who could score a bit, and you know. But when he was reportedly asking for two million a season. Uh, you can't be paying a fourth line or that type of money, especially for a team like the Oilers with not much cap room available. They just simply couldn't justify giving him that type of contract. And I can't blame the guy for wanting to get paid, but I wish he would have valued the opportunity to win a cup with the Oilers right now over going to a team that's probably going to miss the playoffs for a significant raise. And he's still only 24. So he easily could have cashed in a year from now when the salary cap goes up. Um, but I think the Oilers uh, will, will miss some of his truculence this season. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and, you know, I mean, they, I think if he had kind of bet on himself, uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I think that he, you know, a year, maybe two years from now, he'd probably blow that $2 million mark out of the water,
0: you know? And maybe it's because uh, he spent five years in the AHL that he wanted to start making some real money. And I. Yeah, totally understand that. But when when you look at the situation in Detroit, and the teams that they have to jump over just to even get into the playoffs, as opposed to being on a legit Stanley Cup champ or contender right now and a team that you scored a couple big goals for in the playoffs. I, I don't know. I, I just it puzzles me a little bit why he he didn't think that it would be a, a, a better decision to stay with the Oilers for now.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that probably played in to why it took a little while to come to some number, right? Like to, you know, we, we had talked about it early on in the off season, you know, when he'd be signed and and for how much, and, and we had hope. And I think probably that was the hope that Holland was, you know, giving him. Right. And at the end of the day, we don't know what's going on in their lives or what they need the money for. Uh, their careers are short. And so, you know, um, while we say it's easy enough to bet on yourself for a couple of years, you don't know if injury is gonna take that away from you or not, so seeing that upfront money might be worthwhile right and yeah. and i right, look I can't uh I'm not making those two million dollar decisions no, no <laughs> on a no. salary, so I can't really comment on that, but um, I think that that probably played into the delay of whether or not we found out if he was going to be an oiler
0: or not. Takes you at least a couple of years to make that money, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nick Bukestad signed a two-year deal with the Arizona Coyotes that carries a $2.1 million cap hit on July 1st. Bukestad returns to the Coyotes after being acquired by the Oilers at the trade deadline. And actually I heard the news of the trade on the radio while uh, back in March, while I was driving from Saskatoon to Edmonton to play in the Heavy Hockey Showdown, and uh, a couple nights later, he set a franchise record going ten for ten on faceoffs. Uh, Michael, do you think that the loss of Bukestad will leave a noticeable hole in the lineup, or do you think they'll be able to replace him internally?
1: Oh yeah, no, I you know same reason why we're replacing Costin. Uh, you know, I think there's just enough guys and enough grit in the PTOs and, and, um, and the team that, you know, these guys won't be noticed. And look, if they are, they're deadline type of acquisitions, right. You know, um, and I think that's the kind of acquisition you can, you know, uh, those are the acquisitions that are easier to make at the deadline time than they are to make right now. Right. Um, and so I, I'm fine with, who they have going into the season, you check it out, you see, you know, you've got some time, they're going to win games, right? They're going to win games early and they're going to win lots. I think I've never felt more confident, knock on wood, uh, <laughs> that, you know, this team is, is going into the season, uh, and they're going to get a playoff spot. They're going to know they're in a playoff spot early enough and, and keep the pedal down. Yeah. Right? And give themselves the opportunity to be buyers again at the deadline where they don't need to necessarily be buyers but tinkerers, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they can tinker on these on players like Bugstad or Costin and, you know, look at, you know, at, at least if you're if you're looking for a guy like a Bugstad at the deadline, it's not going to cost you a first rounder.
0: No, and Bob right. Stauffer hinted on his show the other day that the Oilers will likely look at trading their 2024 first-round pick for a right-shot defenseman to really bolster the blue line going into the playoffs. Oh, that would be they, fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, they already did that last year uh, to get Ekholm here, and uh, if they can find this year's version of Ekholm, you know, th- that shows you what a transformation your d core could have in a span of 12 months. I mean, look at, look at the Oilers on the wings from the time they played the Jets in the 2021 playoffs till now, they didn't have Evander Kane at that time. They didn't have Zach Hyman at that time. They didn't have Connor Brown at that time. They've added all of those guys. And now compare that to what the D core could also look like. If they can find another player who's at the same level of Ekholm or even a little lower that would be just a huge difference, and it would give them the, the upgrade over Cody Ceci that they probably need in the top pairing to be a legit cup contender.
1: Yeah, Cody, Cody Ceci's not a top-pairing D-man. He's played well.
0: Yeah, He's he exceeded played, expectations yeah. two years ago. He was arguably the Oilers' best all-around defenseman in 2021-22. Uh took a bit of a step back this year, although there were rumors that he was playing through a lingering injury all season. Yeah. But that being said, I mean, I, I'm not saying that Cody CC has to go. If, I mean, if he if he's needed to be shipped out in a deal for an upgrade on the blue line just so that they can make the money work, then then I'm totally fine with that. It's sort of like how Tyson Barry had to go. Uh, it wasn't necessarily even because. Nashville needed a, a power play quarterback to, you know, fit the role that Barry would be bringing in for. They already had Romeo Yossi. Uh, but if the Oilers were going to fit Ekholm's $6 million cap hit under the, the, their, their cap, then they had to be trading Barry out. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. True. And that's pretty much the same situation that I think Cody Cece could be. And if, uh, if the Oilers do end up, uh, Trying to upgrade the the right D spot because Bouchard's not going anywhere, and I don't think that De will be going anywhere. I mean, he's more of a lower in the lineup, six seven type D man, but still, like uh, he he brings a, a special skill set as a you know huge penalty killer on the back end, and uh, his cap it is so low that it wouldn't really need to be included in any deal. When it was a little
1: controversial when I said it. ways back I said somebody had asked me if I thought this team how it currently is created could win the Stanley Cup and I said no I said I like I don't see this as a Stanley Cup winning team I see it as a playoff team and and in my mind that's all it needs to be right and you know the you know Cody CC if he's the guy that goes at the deadline uh, for that right shot D you know the the stud D that you're really looking for, uh, then that's, that's what it was last year. It was Barry. Right. And you, you make those uh, changes at the deadline closer to uh, the playoffs. And that's when you become a Stanley cup winning team. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why the deadline is where it is. Right. So that you have it kind of a, a part of the season to, you know, see what you have and make the additions and changes this team you know we don't talk about it much uh well we do talk about it a lot but the other big thing that you know we we haven't been talking about is that when we get to the deadline this year we're going to the into the deadline with a team that Jackson also has his fingerprints on yeah right and that means that we're going to go in with more uh with more data i think Right, we're going to go in with uh, a keener eye to what it takes to win a championship. And so, you know, while I don't think this is a Stanley Cup winning team today, I don't think it needs to be. It just needs to be a right. playoff team.
0: And uh, the final roster player who left the organization this offseason was Devin Shore. He signed a one year deal for 775000 with the Seattle Kraken on August 31st. Michael, by all accounts, Shore was a very popular teammate in Edmonton. You even saw him in Instagram pictures at Connor McDavid's uh, lake house in Ontario this summer. But as they as the team continues to get better, I just didn't see a spot for him in the lineup going forward. How about you?
1: Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, I mean that's exactly where it is. You know, it was uh, people would groan when when Shore got called up or called into the lineup. Uh, he was certainly a favorite, um, you know, players did love him. They still love him and they can still love him going forward. They can, you know, he can hang out with the team and do all of that in the off season. Um, but it's, you know, it's just about being serious about going to the next level. And, and, you know, I think Shore probably knows that he only had so much time to play. Right.
0: You know, when you've played seven, eight years in the league you know you you get it he i think he understands where he's at in his career like he's 29 now so you know he's had a a decent career to this point i don't know how many more nhl games he has left in him i uh, hopefully he gets a little bit of a chance in seattle cuz he's a likable guy and like you said oilers fans uh, have loved him uh, during the 3 years he was here but uh it, i don't think that he holds any grudges about the team moving on from him it just uh, that's just how it goes when you when you want to build a championship team you constantly need to be upgrading your roster and that even goes for the 13th forward spot so if shore's not going to bring much offense um, you know he he's never going to short change you for effort but uh, this is a guy who isn't going to be a, a piece going forward. So it's better that he move on now and, and find another organization where he might be able to fit in.
1: Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think anybody on his team, uh, you know, would have feels anything, but just happy that he found a place to land.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and you know, there's a, a bunch of former Oilers there too. I mean, Jordan Everly, yep. uh, Adam Larson, Justin Schultz, now Kyler Yamamoto. So there will be a few faces that he'll recognize there. Yeah,
1: yeah. I never thought about how many uh, former <laughs> Oilers are there <laughs> until you put it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
0: true. Well, it just gives us even more incentive to to beat those guys again. Uh, oh next yeah. Season. I think the Oilers <laughs> won three three out of four against them last year. And Yeah. There there, there was one game where the Oilers really just jumped out to a three nothing lead about. 5 minutes into the game it was it was McDavid's only 5-point game of uh, the season last year it was somewhere around late December I think uh but uh yeah always always fun beating a, a new divisional rival especially because in just their second year in the league another expansion team <laughs> becomes a becomes a, a quality playoff team it's just like I, not to the extent that Vegas was Five or six years ago, but uh, you know, they they've turned it around quickly. I mean, look, in their second season in the league, they knocked out the defending Stanley Cup champions.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I when I think about the Kraken, I I um I think they're, you know, in a way they you know, they had um the the, the league knew what to expect with an expansion franchise, so they didn't quite yeah. have the same leg up that Vegas had. And so I think they've done a fantastic job of putting it all together uh, in the in the time that they've had. Um, yeah, the fact. In fact, I'd say that they've done a better job because of what everybody else knew uh, when they went into it.
0: Right. Uh, okay. And moving on to the Oilers signings now. And GM Ken Holland kicked off the offseason by signing pending UFA Derek Ryan to a two-year contract extension with a cap hit of 900000 on June 13th. Michael, with competition for the fourth line center spot, do you still see Ryan as the favorite to hold on to that role? And are you at all concerned about giving multiple years to a player who turns 37 in December?
1: Uh, you know, it, it, no, I'm not concerned. I think... You know, everybody a couple of years ago was yelling at Holland whether he's all in or not, right? And, you know, give away, spend to the cap now and, and whether it's, you know, if you have to get a guy for two years, uh, because of the way that it's going to work out, uh, then do it. Um, you know, as I also, as I said before, guys are in better shape than they ever were. So I'm not totally worried about. Uh, Derek Ryan, you know, dropping off uh, in a year
0: from now. He's also beat the odds his entire career. So yeah. he's a guy that I feel comfortable betting on to do it again.
1: Yeah. I mean, we just talked about uh, Devin Shore. I mean, I think Derek Ryan's a uh, much more serviceable player than than Devin Shore. For sure. Um, and he, you know, when he's, um, last year he had some uh, brilliant uh, stretches, right? Where he was, uh, you know a very noticeably good player for the Oilers. And I think he'll have much of the same this year. Uh, he comes, he's one of those guys that just comes to play every night and you love to see it. And I think in some ways that bottom six of the Oilers sort of rises and falls with Derek Ryan. Like he's, he's that kind of a leader and that kind
0: of a vet. Yeah. I mean, the Oilers do have a lot of centers under contract, so there will be battles for, for spots in training camp. And I, I think internal competition is a good thing, though. And uh, Ryan's experience in the league and time spent with the organization probably still gives him the inside track to win the job. I mean, he scored 13 goals last season in a fourth line role, which is <laughs> only know. two goals off his career high.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, he's great in the face-off circle. He's a strong defensive presence and a tenacious forechecker. Uh, he gets pucks back and he takes them hard to the net. So. I still expect him to be a useful player for the Oilers this season. And as for the second year on that deal, if his game drops off a year from now, they can easily bury his contract in the AHL because his cap hit is so low. And he might even just choose to retire if that happens. But uh, with the salary cap expected to increase significantly, I think that they might just be fine keeping him as a depth forward if if uh, they find a, a better fit for the, the fourth line center spot by that time. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. Uh, the Oilers then uh, signed another pending UFA, Matthias Janmark, to a one-year contract extension worth $1 million on June 30th, two days before the free agent period started. Janmark took a $250,000 pay cut from last season to stay with the Oilers. Michael, he's not a player who's going to wow you offensively, but Janmark is the type of reliable veteran presence that teams with cup aspirations need to fill out their lineup, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he is, and he's not that far removed from having played, you know, top line minutes with uh, with Vegas, right? Like he, yeah. you know, he had to fill in and and play on the top line uh, quite a few games uh, the year prior. Uh, he's, you know, he's just that guy that can go up and down the up and down the lineup. Is um, you know, I, I think he does what you need him to do. He's he's not he's definitely not getting you know any younger. Right. I think you can see him slowing down a little bit as I talk about everybody being a little bit uh, more fit uh, in their later years. But uh, I, you know, I like the signing. I like him being on the Oilers team. I, I think, you know, he's the kind of player we need to kind of round out this team. And if he needs to play a couple, you know, games on the second line for whatever reason, he can do that. Uh he's you know he's a good player and um you know he's not gonna wow anybody but right look, uh you know he was flirting around that half point a game mark last year uh and that's not too bad for a guy that's yeah, 29.
0: He, he's definitely not a flash and dash player, and there there are a lot of nights where he's not overly noticeable, but uh, he's a solid defensive-minded forward. that He can kill penalties, he typically makes the safe play with the puck and mm-hmm. Uh, he still scored 10 goals in 66 games last season. So I think we can reasonably expect him to hit double digits again this year, especially if he plays all 82. And uh, whenever Jay Woodcroft wants to go with 11 forwards and seven defensemen, Yanmar can get a couple shifts with either McDavid or Dreisaitl. And I actually thought he worked pretty well with McDavid last year. They uh, cashed in on a a couple two-on-one rushes and, uh there there's also he he's been on a, some deep playoff runs with Dallas and Vegas in recent years and that type of experience is invaluable and it's just a shame he got injured blocking a shot in game 1 against LA last spring because yeah. I think he he would have uh, really helped in that series.
1: Yeah, agreed. Agreed.
0: Uh all right, uh and the Oilers made their biggest off-season addition uh on July 1st, signing Connor Brown to a one-year contract worth 775000 with games played bonuses that will carry over to next season. If he does play in 10 games this season, which he should easily clear, uh, the contract would be worth as much as $4 million. And according to Sportsnet's Elliott Friedman, the Oilers had a deal in place to acquire Brown the previous summer before the Ottawa Senators eventually dealt him to the Washington Capitals instead. But now he's finally an oiler and he is reunited with his former junior teammate, Connor McDavid. What are your expectations for Brown this season? And where do you see him slotting into the lineup? Uh, Yeah. Uh, That's a big question. And
1: it's all of a, like a choose your own adventure (laughs) with, with Connor Brown. Um, You know, the, the reason the, yeah contract is the way it is is you know you want to make sure he's gonna it's it's a low game count for him to to meet, but there's still a little bit of a you know concern i think in in everybody's mind whether he'll you know be injury free for the season uh and if he is uh then I think you know he's gonna be a successful player where he plays uh, i think depends uh one hundred percent on you know, the first 10 games of the season, maybe the first five games of the season. I, you know, he, um, I think he'll play, uh, definitely get a first couple games on the top line. And if he slots in nicely there, then, you know, it could be the thing that puts the Oilers over the top. Uh, If he doesn't fit in uh, perfectly on that top line, we'll see him move around, you know, first, second and third line all season. And, uh, I think he'll have a middling season, one that's not, you know, for his, um, for his, uh, salary this season will be worth it. Um, the question will be, you know, how much do we pay for it next year? And, uh, yeah, I just, I expect him, you know, if you gave me an over and under on the points, um, you know, if he's around that 45 point mark, I'd be happy.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's an all-in year for the Oilers, so they're not worried about what the the cap uh, is going to be next season or the cap penalty with uh, this carrying over. It's They're worried about having a top six forward at league minimum, and that's a great deal for right now. Yeah. And, and I, I and knowing what like I, I think he will spend the majority of the season in the top six, but knowing how Woodcroft likes to change up his lines, he'll probably have several different line mates throughout the season. However, the Oilers brought in Brown to play with McDavid. That to me is very clear. There was surely uh, other teams that could offer him more money. But one thing that the Oilers could offer him that no one else could is the opportunity to play with the best player in the world. And that had to be a big factor in why he decided to sign with Edmonton along with the chance to win. Um, So I would start Brown right on the top line with McDavid and Evander Kane. I think putting him in that position would be a great way to build up his offensive confidence after missing virtually all of last season with a torn ACL. And stylistically, I think Brown is close to a perfect fit to play with McDavid too. He has excellent hockey sense, soft hands, above average speed. He turns over pucks in the neutral zone, which often lead to chances the other way. Uh, He's aggressive on the forecheck and uh, maybe most importantly, he has excellent finishing ability in tight to the crease and Uh, the fact that McDavid and Brown played together before, even if it was almost a decade ago is also a positive. So I'm with you. I'm going to say Brown will put up 20 to 25 goals and 45 to 50 points right around there.
1: And if you look at, you know, the change, you know, we talked about the change in the roster, you know, he's taking Yamamoto's spot in that top six. Yeah. Uh, he's a better player. Like, there's no doubt in my mind he's a better player. He brings a a lot of different things to the lineup. And so, yeah, for this year's uh, cap hit, uh, it's a brilliant move. Uh, The only, the biggest question mark is injury.
0: Yes. Although he has been relatively healthy throughout his NHL career, other than the one freak accident last year where he missed the final 78 games with, like I said, the, the torn ACL so yeah um as long as he's healed from that and apparently it was a clean tear so there wasn't any uh, ligament damage or anything and uh reportedly he feels great and is uh has felt pretty good for a while though so I mean it, w- we won't know until he actually gets into a competitive game which he hasn't played since I think he got hurt on October 4th last year so it's been quite a while but uh overall I, I i like this bet by the team i think that getting a guy who can fill a, a top 6 role and possibly score you 20 goals for just just 775,000 that uh, that helps the team a lot this year
1: yeah yeah no i 100% yeah and as i said i i can't it's an upgrade from yamamoto
0: hey, yeah. and so yeah if you want to upgrade your top six, that's how you have to do it. Without a doubt. And still on the first day of free agency, the Oilers inked UFA forwards, Drake Kajula and Lane Peterson to league minimum contracts. Given that the Oilers are expected to run a shorter roster again this season due to cap constraints. Do you see either Kajula or Peterson making the team out of camp? No, I mean, yeah, camp's
1: always kind of a funny thing. uh, But, no not out of camp uh we'll see i think both of them spend some time on the roster uh, you know varying points in the season uh I, i'm excited to see kajula you know who knows what being back in edmonton uh does for him you know in terms of uh uh the play etc but yeah he um yeah, you know, I just don't see him making, uh, making the opening day lineup, given what we have Peterson, um, uh, maybe I guess, uh, just cause he can play center, but I think one of the PTOs will more than likely play, uh, on that fourth line center. And, uh, and then of course, if, um. If Woodcroft and, and the coaching staff are going eleven and seven, then uh, that's the odd odd one out.
0: Right. Well, I mean, Oilers fans are are going to be more familiar with Kajula because he played here for parts of three seasons. But at this stage of his career, he's more of a replacement level player. So I expect he'll spend the majority of the season in Bakersfield where he should still be able to contribute offensively. If you look at his numbers in the AHL last year, they were pretty good for that level. And uh, I think he can also mentor the team's prospects. Uh, as for Peterson, he's another right-shot center, which helps his chances to make the team, although he might end up playing on the wing too, as you kind of mentioned. And uh, I think uh, if Woodcroft does decide to run that 11-7 and seven alignment, it could be even harder for him to stick in the lineup because uh, I don't see him getting in over a guy like Derek Ryan or Warren Fogle or, or whoever they're going to have down there um, on the fourth line, if you want to call it that, or the the, the final pairing <laughs> the forward pairing. So uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be uh tough for him on those, uh, those circumstances. But uh, I, I think that both of them have a, a chance to play in some NHL games. I would, I'd bet on P- uh, Peterson playing in more NHL games than Kachula this year, Yeah, but I, I don't think that he'll be a regular in the lineup.
1: Yeah, no, I and yeah, and that's exactly how it's likely to play out. And and look, you know, if you're um you know, you're Woodcroft and you're and you you want a player in the lineup on a home game night that might spark the fans a little bit and and make things a little bit fun, then throw Kajula in there, right? Um there's some added benefit to that. I th- I think Edmonton fans like him, like the idea of him. Uh, being back with the Oilers organization, just like they like the idea of Gagne being back in the Oilers organization. And, and you know, don't discount the, you know, the emotional charge that these guys bring uh, at home when they play.
0: Without a doubt, yeah. And after a fairly quiet rest of July, the Oilers re-signed RFA Ryan McLeod to a two-year contract with a cap hit of $2.1 million on August 1st. Michael, we've watched McLeod steadily improve over the past three seasons with the Oilers, but do you think this is the year he takes a larger step forward as an NHL player and locks down that third-line center spot? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, he's only
1: 23, uh, and he's given the Oilers uh, some good years. I think he's, he's better than I expected him to be, to be right? I mean, just uh, making it
0: to the league yeah. as a second-round pick that the Oilers haven't turned a lot of picks outside of the first round into NHL players, so he's he's kind of uh, even beat the odds there for this organization, Absolutely. and and yeah. that's a something we'd like to see a little bit more of, especially with some of the later round picks that are looking promising in the Oilers system right now. But uh, yeah, just uh, just even getting there is a is a the first thing, and and if he can take it another step forward now as a as a pro, that's that's what huge for the organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's just it. Just take it the other step. I think, you know, if, you know, as much as we know the players, but he's going to want to play for his contract. Right. Right. You know, prove that he's worth the 2.1 they've spent. And I think he is, you know, he's, um, he's definitely, uh, I think he'd play third line center on just about any team in the league. And the thing I, you know, I, I've said every time I've talked about him that I love is if you need him to play up and down the lineup, he can he's, uh, he's versatile. He's, you know, good defensively. He just, he comes to play every night. He's a hard worker. Uh, he's got a hell of a smile. Um, (laughs) you know, he's got, he's got all of the, all of the traits of, um, you know, uh, uh NHL player that's going to be around, you know, every year for a while.
0: Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm excited a, to watch a, him grow. He's a kid from the Toronto area who grew up, a uh, an Oilers fan and a Ryan Smith fan too. So how can you not love that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and like, you know, I go back to, he's only 23. Right. right. Like,
1: I mean, well, I guess he'll be 24. I'm just sorry. I'm looking at his, yeah, uh, he's a, here in in a couple of he's days. He's a
0: 2018 draft yeah. pick, so he's he's yeah. turning he turns in 24 in six days. So mm-hmm. happy birthday, Ryan! <laughs> happy early birthday!
1: <laughs> happy early birthday!
0: Um, and I mean the Oilers have the best one-two combination down the middle in the league with McDavid and Drysital, but McLeod has a golden opportunity to secure that third line center spot for the next five to seven years or so. And, I mean, he's an emerging talent with still room to grow. And uh, he has speed to burn. He can skate the puck up the ice with ease. He's responsible in his own end. And, he, you know, he's constantly evolved down low in, in his own zone. He, he's big, though he's not overly physical. And I, I think that that's an area he needs to improve this season. And that doesn't mean he just has to throw a ton of hits, but he needs to be more engaged in puck battles and go into the dirty areas more consistently. If, if he had a little bit of what, yamamoto brought in that area that would make him such a a more effective player and i it might never be the the type of guy he is but just like i said you don't have to go out there and hit everyone in sight but just be there be in the battle and uh while i don't think he's ever going to be a big point producer either uh, i think he has the potential to put up 40 points a season especially if they can find him some uh wingers who can finish their chances yeah yeah and and you know playing
1: on that third line right is um you know it's all about all about that right if you get a third line that ends up with some chemistry and i think mcleod and fogel at times had really good chemistry last year
0: and some ah, of these guys they've yeah. got in the system like if, if eventually one of them breaks into the the lineup like uh Xavier Borgo or Raphael Lavois or eventually, uh, Matt, Petrov or Ty Tulio or Carter Savoy. Like they, mm-hmm. they have these young skilled wingers that are, are basically all fighting for the same one or two jobs on any given year. And if, if a couple of those guys were to end up on his wing, well, I mean, that's the, that the type of skill on your third line that you'd like to have playing with him. And then that's when he really would have a chance to maybe hit 40 points.
1: Yeah, you know, and and um I hadn't really thought about it that way, but if you get yeah, some of these guys cuz there's some talent there. I mean, obviously the prospect cupboards aren't as uh full and stocked as we'd like, but that's a product of going for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh but there's some I talent do, there. That'll be good. And I
0: do like that the Oilers well, I mean, Tyler Wright who Exited the organization recently. And like I said, I'm going to talk more about uh, that with Spencer Pomodi when he's on the show, but um, you won't really know how the draft picks turned out until five years after that's when you can really evaluate it. And like, they, they might have missed on a, a few or there you can argue that there were players that they should have taken ahead of uh, the guys were that the Oilers picked in those spots but with their depth picks, I like a lot of the you know the flyers that they've taken on some of these guys like uh, a guy like uh tulio in the or sorry Savoy in the fourth round tulio in mm-hmm. the fifth round a couple of years ago uh Petrov in the sixth round uh these these are guys who you know are are all skilled players and a lot of them are shooters and that seemed like that was the mentality from the Oilers uh amateur scouting staff is to draft goal scorers, draft guys who can put the puck in the net (laughs) and that's probably driven by the fact that uh you have two world-class playmakers on your team and uh, if you can find someone with uh even decent uh Shooting ability and and put them with one of those guys. It can probably you know take their their offensive game to another level.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And and those guys are are great. I think um, you know Petrov is the one. Yeah, that uh, to me is the most amazing out of all of them. Uh, back, it would back be great to point see him. He him go somewhere. Um, even a guy like uh, Stonehouse didn't you know was. Pretty good goal st- scorer for Ottawa in the OHL. Uh, you know, these guys in this rookie camp, it'll be exciting to see some of them and and how they um, and how they are. And, and camp often has a couple of surprises and who knows? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, Borgo. I'd love to see um, how he does in camp this year.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, last year, the Oilers won the rookie tournament, which kicks off tomorrow with the oilers rookies taking on the jets rookies at uh 5 p.m mountain time but you have to remember philip broberg and dylan holloway played in that tournament i was going to say i think Stuart skinner did too but i don't believe he did um and i mean holloway was the obvious mvp of that tournament if you watched any of those games mm-hmm. he was you know the clear-cut best player there and that uh that that's something that this group is not going to have and, and Raphael Lavoie isn't playing in it either, and his numbers were similar to Holloway's at uh, at the NHL or the AHL level last year. So, you know, he probably would have had a similar impact, but he's not going to be playing now. And uh, as you mentioned, the Oilers have kind of filled out their their roster with uh, some some camp invites, but uh, it's uh, it, it's not going to be as uh, as dominant as showing. I don't expect as we saw uh, a year ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, they, um, and goaltending is pretty lackluster in terms of what's going to camp as well. So, you know, I mean, that's not what it's about, really. You know, it's uh, it's fun as a fan to see your team, whether it's even a, if it's rookie camp or not, win. But, um, you know, seeing which players really shine is is kind of the better part of it. I'd like to see Burgo take a step and just be... Dominant out there uh is something yeah. I'd like to see um you know i i I found and I got to watch him live when he was playing in the queue oh, that's right,
0: coming yeah. to Halifax,
1: yeah, and yeah i just i got this impression from him that you know he was you know maybe a little disinterested uh playing at that level when he probably should have been playing in the a h l and maybe a year earlier um but I think what you know what if what shows maturity is when these guys they don't play with that disinterest and they play with the zeal to win uh whether or not they're a step above and so that's kind of what i'd like to see from burgo is that
0: you know he a little more competitiveness
1: yeah a little bit more competitive and and shows that he's you know he's not supposed to be there Right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, that I think will uh, determine how he does in the Oilers camp. So uh, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for.
0: But if he ever puts it all together and it clicks for him at the AHL level, that's a guy that you know you'd hope to see recalled in the next year or two. And um, when he does come up, man, you you never know. You you might put him with McDavid, and it it just Immediately works and they end up playing together for the next handful of years. Oh yeah, yeah. Another guy that I'm kind of excited about. And I mentioned
1: him earlier is this Stonehouse. Yeah, like he. Uh, you know, he didn't. Uh, he kind of got passed over, right? And then, you know, now you know he's um, had a really great season uh, playing for the sixty sevens. Uh, you know, he's putting the puck in the net. Uh, he's the kind of guy you really, you know, another guy that I really want to watch for as well.
0: And maybe that showcases him and then he gets a contract with another organization down the road. So you never know what can come of this. But yeah, uh, that's possible. Sometimes I almost think those camp invites are actually have more to play for than uh, the, the prospects who will be returning to their junior teams. Yeah, yeah, he, and he's not big. Like he's not a big player, so we'll see what happens.
1: But um, you know, I've I've uh, seen some clips of him, and he just he looks like the kind of guy that um, could be a surprise, uh, and and at one time in his career, play a couple of games in the NHL, do something nobody's
0: expecting. And the Oilers re-signed RFA Evan Bouchard to a two-year contract with a cap hit of three point nine million on August twenty-fourth. It was the final key piece of business the Oilers had to get out of the way this summer. Uh, Michael, after watching Bouchard elevate his game to a whole new level in the playoffs, do you expect him to outperform his contract? And how high do you think he could push his point total this season?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I. Point total, I think, is a given that he'll get more. He's just gonna play nonstop on the power play uh this year. And I I legitimately do not expect the um power play to be if it if it does uh go down, which you know there doesn't feel like it's possible it could get any better, although I'm I'm one of the few maybe that think it will be uh with Bouchard back there. I think he's gonna yeah, easily outperform forty points. You know, well, when I say easily, I mean I. I think he he's going to be sitting around fifty, the fifty point mark, if not more, uh, playing a full season on the power play. Uh and then with that comb there, I mean, he, you know, as he showed with Keith the year prior, right? If he's got the right vet on his uh, defensive pairing, he's you know perfectly capable defensively. Uh, yeah, I and couldn't shows agree
0: other, more on that
1: point. Yeah, other benefits. So yeah. No, I, I I think I think it's a good a good um good price for a guy like Bouchard. Although I'm not sure that he'd get that same contract had he been playing for another team.
0: Yeah, possibly not. And um, you know, after scoring 43 points in his first full NHL season in 2021 22, I thought Bouchard was going to put up sixty points last year, but he got off to a really slow start, and I think a big reason for his early struggles was that he went from having a former Norris Trophy winner in Duncan Keith as de- as his defensive partner to, you know, being the veteran on a pairing with Philip Broberg. Uh, however, once Matthias Ekholm arrived in early March, Bouchard's offensive game really took off, and I, I think it was a big deal for him to have Ekholm there. He was a calming presence for Bouchard on the back end. And if there was ever a defensive breakdown, Eckholm would cover for him. And of course, uh, a big reason why uh, Bouchard turned his season around was that he finally got the opportunity to play on the top power play unit. You know, we mentioned that earlier about Tyson Berry uh, heading out the door in that uh, Eckholm trade and, Uh, Bouchard had 36 points in his final 31 games last year, including the regular season and playoffs, which was the third most points in the league by a defenseman since the start of March. And that's a 95 point pace over a full 82 game schedule. Now I'm not saying Bouchard is going to maintain that pace all season, but it's a really positive sign from him. And considering he's going to be playing a full season on the best power play unit in NHL history, I think he's a lock for 60 points and it wouldn't shock me if he hit 70. Yeah, no, I mean, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me either.
1: Look, this guy did amazing things in junior. Yeah. Right. Like he's an offensive juggernaut. And, uh, last year, uh, you know, he, yeah, you're right. He struggled early. Uh, but once he, you know, once he got his confidence back, I think all was good and it's going to be, you know, the guy had 17 points in 12 playoff games. Granted. I mean, it was <laughs> all power play, but, uh, he could be, you know, he could, it, would it surprise you if he was a point of game defensive player uh, next year? I mean, maybe it would surprise you, but it's altogether possible.
0: I mean, playing with McDavid in his prime and having, uh, a... Bouchard with the skill set he has, could could he hit eighty points? Yeah, I mean it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could get there, especially if they uh, if the refs call you know even half the the penalties that they probably should against uh, McDavid, then they're they're gonna see that power play opportunity rate go up and they would be converting even more. I mean, uh, what were they in the playoffs? I, I think they were. I don't know if they finished there, but they were in the high fifties at one point. And mm-hmm. uh, that just took it to a, another level from the, the That's NHL record they, yeah. they, <laughs> yeah. last year, they they set the NHL record last year for uh, best success rate on the power play in both the regular season and the playoffs. And it, it just got better in the playoffs. So I, I really expect that it's going to, even if it's not a, hovering around that 58% or, or whatever it finished at, I think that, uh, they have a good shot to, to beat that record of uh, 32.4 again next season. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the Oilers also signed three PTOs ahead of training camp, including former Oiler and fan favorite Sam Gagne, as well as Brandon Sutter and Adam Ernie. Uh, do you think any of these guys have a real shot to earn a contract with the team?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, the one that uh, I'm not altogether sure about would be Ernie um you know uh you had to have um we talked about it with mccurdy on oilers live on tuesday uh it does smell a little bit like a a pick that's meant to fill the roster out for preseason games or not a pick but a, a yeah, you PTO. gotta have a certain yeah.
0: number of veterans on your roster and you know when, when the oilers are playing eight preseason games you don't want to have McDavid and Dreisaitl mm-hmm. playing more than four, and, and you don't want them having to travel either. Like, you're not going to send them to Winnipeg or Vancouver to play a preseason game. So, yeah, I think for that purpose alone, it makes sense to bring them in.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, he's he's a question mark. Could he play his way into the lineup? Absolutely. Um, Sam Gagne, I think, uh, will be an oiler. Um, how, how and what his utilization is we'll see uh and brandon sutter i mean it a lot depends on whether or not he can regain some form and and uh if he can then sure why not right like um i think the person that's most likely to lose a spot is lane peterson right uh to one of these guys uh and and it's quite possible right i mean it's um you know, these are guys that we talked about losing Costin, and we talked about losing Bugstad. Uh, these are guys that could be, you know, uh, good replacements for them if they have um, a successful season.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I mean, for me, I, I would love to see Sam Gagne come back for a third tour of duty. Uh, I wrote an article about this about 13 months ago, and I, I released it again uh when the rumor started to come -hmm. out in August that he was going to come back again. And I just think that for a guy who has played in the league for 16 years, uh, a good chunk of that time with the Oilers, seven years on his first, uh, first time around and uh, parts of three seasons, the second time, it it would be great to see him finally get to play in a playoff game with the Oilers. Sam Gagner has played over a thousand regular season games in the NHL, but he's only played in eleven playoff games, and none with the Oilers. So, for me, just being a fan of this guy since they drafted him in two thousand seven, you know, we're both born in nineteen eighty nine. He wears eighty nine on the back of his jersey. I always loved that. Um, I, I would, re- I mean, the twelve. I mean, the the eight point game in twenty twelve. There's, there's so many reasons why this guy is a. A fan favorite in oil country and just i think that it it just seems right for him to be able to finally play in playoff games in edmonton and Mm -hmm. i mean if they end up winning the cup this year that's like (laughs) that's almost uh a story tale to have uh that kind of a finish to his career he he might end up just calling it a career if if he won the (laughs) cup uh Like Hollywood couldn't write a better script than that than Gagne coming back to the Oilers for a third time and uh, he he wins a championship and then is able to kind of call it a career and and sort of transition then into a a management type role as uh, it's been floated out there that he'll. End up doing with the Oilers organization when he eventually does decide to hang up his skates. But yeah, so for that reason alone, I'm hoping that Gagne does earn a contract. Uh, you might be able to argue that Brandon Sutter fits what they need even more as a sort of a defensive minded you know, right shot center. But uh, I don't know. Like he's missed the last two seasons with long COVID. Uh, I just, I don't know if he. What kind of shape he's in, I guess we'll see uh, when the preseason gets going about a week from now, but um you know, I'm hoping for sam Gagne if if I'm being honest
1: yeah i i honestly i I just have zero doubt in my head that he's going to be signed uh with the Oilers um
0: the, do you think he'd agree to a two way deal though
1: like no so I, he, I think him up he's and down? I think he's the guy that uh sits in the press box every night you
0: know the the second coming of devon shore but <laughs> i mean you'd like to have the that. three guys in the yeah. press box if the oilers had the cap room to do it yeah but um i think that he's such a team player and good soldier that he would be willing to take on that role of you know sitting in the press box even if it's 41 games a year and playing in the other 41 just to Just to be back here, I mean, his wife's from Edmonton. They have connections to the city. He obviously loves being an oiler. It'd be great to see him come back. And and like I said, we're considering where this team is right now based on uh, or compared to the years that he suffered through earlier in his career when the Oilers were at the bottom of the standings year after year. Like I said, it would just be great to see him have the opportunity to play for the Oilers while they're a, a top team in the league and, and hopefully have a chance to win that championship. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it would be uh it would be brilliant. <laughs> it really would be. Yeah.
0: And while we can argue that uh Connor Brown was the Oilers' uh biggest acquisition on the uh ice this uh this season or this offseason, their most significant addition might have been off the ice with uh, the Oilers hiring McDavid's longtime agent, Jeff Jackson, as CEO of hockey operations on August 3rd. Uh, Firstly, what did you think of the decision to hire Jackson? And secondly, do you think this all but guarantees that McDavid will be an oiler for life?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, it's hard to talk in guarantees, but um, I I just can't see McDavid uh going anywhere, assuming everything goes to plan. Um this is uh this was much needed for the Oilers organization. Uh bring somebody from outside, somebody that is um, you know, a friend of McDavid, so to speak, somebody who seemingly understands, you know, where the game of hockey is going. Uh somebody who's not afraid to make choices right that um and put their stamp on the organization uh it's all part of uh what i think is you know there's a a part of this team um while the team has a good history uh you know the team needed to mature in a number of different ways uh, or maybe overcome that history and this is a part of that as well right this is a new direction Um, you know, and, and Ken Holland, I mean, it's likely his last year in the organization. So, you know, you need a guy like, I think like Jackson who can take the reins and, and get the team ready for the new direction that it goes. And, and not just about it being a cup or bust this year, but that you can parlay this into, uh ongoing success for the organization right like so that you're you know more of like a a pittsburgh penguins type of organization rather than the buffalo sabers type of organization
0: yeah i couldn't agree more i I think this has to be viewed as one of the best front office signings uh in, in the franchise's history Uh, bringing in Jackson to run the organization really signals a new direction for the Oilers, in my opinion. He he has more than 35 years of experience as an NHL player, a lawyer, a front office executive, and as a player agent. And his name carries considerable weight in the hockey world. Uh, Daryl Cates even said in his introductory press conference uh, back in August that hiring Jackson uh, represents a big commitment to the organization's long-term success. And uh, while I'm sure he'll strengthen the Oilers' hockey operations department, uh, his re- longstanding relationship with McDavid might be his most significant resource to the organization. I've always believed that McDavid would spend his entire career in Edmonton, but I'm more confident than ever that uh, McDavid will be re-signing with the Oilers now that Jackson is in the fold.
1: Yeah, it. Do- I mean, it doesn't hurt that confidence, right? Like, it's no. definitely a good part of it
0: yeah it's just bringing in his guy you know you can you can characterize this as the oilers are doing everything they can to make sure mcdavid sticks around and i'm sure that played a big part in it but uh having uh a modern thinker like you said who uh is willing to use analytics more to make decisions and, uh, not being afraid of new ideas and, or getting, you know, stuck in the past or, uh, not being innovative in the way that they're going to, you know, build their organization from top to bottom. I, I think that for those reasons, Jackson is a, a, is a good hire for the team. And, uh, like I said, the, the fact that he has that, uh, relationship with McDavid that goes back more than a decade, that's just a bonus.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh I mean there's there's so many bonuses to hiring a guy like Jackson, right? Like you know, I think even um for somebody to come in that is, you know, a former agent or somebody like Jackson who's who's had a chance to view every part of the league from every different angle. Yeah, right? Like, you know, when you're fighting uh for contracts, And you understand, like, you have to understand the analytical side of the game, because that's, you know, that goes into your
0: negotiations. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's on the other side of that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So it's just, it's good all around. Like, there's so much, so many good things.
0: And it's like you said, he's represented McDavid since 2012, when he was only 15. and, And their relationship will be different now, because he's sort of on the other side, I mean, they're, they're all a part of the same team, but, um, now he's going to be, you know, on, on the other side of the table when it comes to negotiating McDavid's contract. And, um, I'm sure that they're still going to make sure that he gets paid whatever he needs to stick around and, and knowing McDavid, uh, just from what, what we hear, you know, he'll, almost certainly leave money on the table again as he did back in 2017 when he signed his first extension to give the team the best possible chance to win but uh you know with the salary cap going up i'm sure he'll he'll still be paid very well oh yeah yeah and
1: i you know i want to um i want to point out something uh jeff jackson was a uh point a game player for the halifax (laughs) (laughs)
0: Citadel. Well, you know, we've given Saskatoon a few shout outs tonight. We, you know, we got to get Halifax in there too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and you know, uh, just to just to wrap up the show tonight, I, I wanted to talk about a, a major announcement here at the Heavy Hockey Network last week uh when um Heavy Hockey Network was uh named a, a friend of uh, Edmonton Sports Talk and uh I know you just had your uh, inaugural show as a as a part of the the Edmonton sports uh, talk family on a Tuesday night and uh, the fantasy hockey hacks guys who also are from Saskatoon were on last night. Just, um, I mean, how, how much of a thrill is it for you after uh, six years of nearly six years, I guess, of hosting your show to see it sort of take this next step and be uh, joining this brand new online sports radio station? Oh, it's, it's huge. Um, You know, I,
1: I, when I started this, it was um, quite literally just, you know, I wanted to do a podcast and, and, you know, I was looking for something to podcast about and uh, arguably (laughs) some would argue this uh, a lot. um, I, I thought that I would do it on something. I thought I knew something about, which was the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, And I, you know, I really got kind of lucky along the way and still continue to get lucky with the people that I've met. And so, you know, as it's, as it's grown uh, throughout this journey, it's, it's been great. I would have um, never imagined uh, to get, you know, just to, you know, that people would even listen. I, I said this to a lot of people, I expected, you know, you know, three listeners on average and all of them to be related to me. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, now we're up to at least six <laughs> and no, I mean, I joke, it's, it's, it's a great honor and it's good. Um, Dustin Nielsen, as everybody knows is just, you know, uh, one hell of a charismatic guy and, and a great guy uh and um Matthew Iwanick and and Tom Gizola and Lieutenant Eric and and their commitment to Edmonton sports is is fantastic and if you're going to align yourself with somebody in the Edmonton sports scene uh I think those are the guys to do it and you know there's there's lots of reasons um not just how you know great the programming is you know how connected Gizola is um or you know, how charismatic Nielsen is or how much he cares about, you know, the sports and, and, you know, the little side, uh, uh part that, uh, Lieutenant Eric plays or, or just how Iwanek runs the program programming day to day, like all of them together are great. Uh, and then, you know, when we built, and I say we, because I know you were a part of that, Eric, but when we built heavy hockey, Um, And I've said this a million times, as you know, uh, there was always going to be a DNA and a culture to heavy hockey that was about giving back to the community and just being good people. And so, you know, this, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't about Dustin Nielsen and those guys asking if we wanted to be a friend of Edmonton sports talk there was, um, a piece of, of this discussion that had to do with what are you guys going to do in terms of being part of our culture of giving back? And they were immediately on board with helping out with the heavy hockey showdown, which is in support of the sexual assault center of Edmonton. Um, so that, you know, to me, uh, is just fantastic as well. So I expect bigger and better things when we do that this year. Uh, which is our charity hockey game. You're listening and and you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so all of those things together, um, it's a big, big, big time uh, and just exciting time for heavy hockey, for Oilers Live, for Fantasy Hockey Hacks, for yourself. I think we've done something in two years that I never expected to do. And people talk about us. People know about us. Uh, you know people that i don't know personally which is fantastic and i love it it's just been a a really fun ride
0: yeah it's it's a big deal for sure and uh i mean i'm very happy to be a part of it i'm happy for you to see you know where you've taken it um having the fantasy hockey hacks guys on board now i mean i just had them on my my podcast the last episode and uh, great to get to know them yeah i mean geez with with you dash myself and those guys are we're we're really you know (laughs) filling our our saskatchewan content here (laughs) yeah uh we've definitely hit the quota for for people from the prairies and uh uh no it's it's been awesome man i i really enjoyed your first episode with bruce mccurdy i mean that's a i mean he's been on this show three times before so we all know how great of a guest he is and uh uh we'd love to join you on your show sometime soon, whenever you guys uh, need someone to fill in. And um, I mean, I just also want to give you a shout out too and say, uh, well, tomorrow is the the fourth anniversary of uh, the 99 forever podcast. And uh, this is your sixth appearance on the show, which is the most of any guests. So, Uh, appreciate you being such a huge part of the show over the years and everything you've done. And, um, it's been great even recording shows when I've been on your podcast as well. So just, uh, it's awesome, man. And I look forward to seeing, you know, where we're going to go from here.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't say it earlier, but congrats on four years. I remember Eric, I followed you before you ever followed me, (laughs) uh, on Twitter and, uh, for a ton of different reasons at the time you were, you were writing for, uh, the hockey writers, I believe. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, you've always shown that you, you are passionate about the sport and you understand the sport and, and the passion you have for, uh guys like Wayne Gretzky and Connor McDavid and and understanding you know the the trajectory of their careers and and how that works I think it's great I think it's important I think that um you know it's been uh like it's been a real treat getting to know you over the past uh four four and a half probably five years now uh and um Definitely uh, one of the bigger parts of um, doing all of this, uh, as you know, um, you were the you know one of the very first people I asked to be part of Heavy Hockey. Uh, yeah, so,
0: if not the first, I,
1: <laughs> you might have been. I the mean, first. I <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I know. Yeah. I when you when you reached out to me in 2019 to uh, to start my own podcast, you know, with with you at the time and in, in Heavy Hockey didn't really come along until two years later, even it just, uh, it, it meant a lot to me that you wanted me to be a part of this. And, uh, I think we've really built a a strong team uh, just to see how we've grown in the, even two years is, mm-hmm. is really impressive. And I'm proud to be a part of it. And I just, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from here. I think it's, it's going to be a big season for us. And, you know, as the Oilers continue to do better, I think we're only going to do better as well. Exactly. Yeah, I agreed. Well Michael I'm just going to say thanks again for being on the show. Uh good luck with uh your show coming up uh next Tuesday as well and and going forward all season. You know, like I said we're getting close to talking about actual games again. So uh <laughs> with the rookie tournament kicking off tomorrow we'll we'll actually have some uh some new games to break down uh when we record our next episode. Can't wait. All right. So for Michael A. Bear, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.